Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning there, uh, this morning I want to preach on a topic that is not really fun to preach on. In fact, I'd rather preach on several other topics, but this message keeps coming to my mind, and so I have to believe that God has for me to preach it. So here goes. And before I get into it, um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be having uh, the missionaries uh, here next Sunday morning, uh, the Clarks, and then uh, next week will be our reporting of our trip and so forth. So we're going to have kind of a couple of spots here throughout this month, but as we get through the the month of August, we're going to be doing a couple of short series that are, that are uh, I think, appropriate and, and relevant and practical to what we need to hear from God's Word. So uh, we're going to have a couple of different unique sermons in the midst of everything. So kind of bear with us as we kind of plan through the fall and so forth. But this morning is a, is a message that I think most of us struggle with. I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it requires a whole lot of humility and a whole lot of honesty and self uh, evaluation to be honest about where we're at in our walk with God. A friend once told me that if someone has a reputation, it's for one reason. They've earned it. I think we understand what that means. If I were to mention a certain name, a certain thought comes to your mind. If I were to mention a different name, whether it's an actor, whether it's a sports figure, whether it's uh, a politician, all I have to do is mention a name and a certain thought is invoked in your mind That's because if someone has a reputation, it's for one reason. They've earned it. That quote, along with this next quote, points to a perceived problem in Christianity. And the quote is this. Perception is reality. It may not be really true, but if it's what I perceive to be true, then it's truth to me. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. A lot of people in this world that we live in, they have an idea of what Christianity is. And even though we may not believe and agree with them that what that definition is correct, it doesn't matter. In their mind, because they do not know, it's their reality. So when you put the, these two quotes together, if someone has a reputation, it's for one reason, they've earned it, along with perception is reality, it points to a perceived problem in Christianity, and it's this. There are apparently a lot of hypocrites in the body of Christ. Also, there are a lot of people who have a skewed view of Christianity because people have, that have claimed to be a Christian have not lived authentic Christian lives in their presence. Excuses? Most likely. A lot of times in the unsaved world will look at the body of Christ and say, there's just a bunch of hypocrites. And a lot of times, it's an excuse. We know that. We understand it. But it's what they have perceived based on things that they have experienced, seen, heard, heard discussed, so forth. And apparently there are just a lot of hypocrites in the body of Christ, which if there is, and I believe there are, is a great place to be because this is where God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives and helps us to become more of what we need to be before a lost and dying world. And I hope that that's exactly what happens. But you have to remember, though, oftentimes the perception is the reality. So what is the definition of a hypocrite? A simple definition might be this. Giving the appearance to others around you that you are something that you are really not. Or, saying one thing and doing another. Let me say it one more time. Giving the appearance to others around you that you are something that you are really not. Or, saying one thing and doing another. I know that there are a lot of other definitions that might be going through your mind of what a hypocrite is. 
But at its basis form, it's the idea and giving the perception that I want other people to think I'm something that I know inside and before God that I'm really not. At the heart of hypocrisy is this. Your walk does not match your talk. That's being a hypocrite. You see, it's interesting that really if you look at a, a dictionary definition of what hypocrisy is, it's the idea of being an actor, playing the role of an actor. You see, as long as they're acting, they're putting on a costume, they're reading a script, they're making somebody who is watching a program think something that is not real to be real. And as long as they have the costume on, as long as they have the appearance that they are somebody else, they are playing a role. They are not real, they are not genuine, they are not authentic, they are a hypocrite. And that's a little, so often what we see on TV. But so often what we see in the world around us. Because we don't want anybody to realize that we really are hurting. We don't want anyone to have the idea that, man, they're struggling. We don't want to have anyone have the idea of us that we're not doing better than we actually are. We don't want anyone to know that we don't have a lot of money or that we have a lot of health problems or that we really don't live in a nice place or whatever our perception is. We want everybody to think something of us better than what we are. And the problem with that is in our culture is that it has crept into the body of Christ as well. See, spiritually, we're going to be hypocrites as well. We come to church every week, we bring our Bibles, and we put on our Sunday nice clothes, and we want everybody to think that we're just doing great. I mean, I have a profession of faith that, you know, that I've claimed from, maybe it's from, a, from when I was really young and a child, and maybe it's not. But, I, but nonetheless, I want a perception of my life to go out that may not be real, but that's okay. Because I don't want to give the air that I'm not this. I want everyone to know that I'm this. And that's a shame. Because that's a life that you cannot keep up with. Because before God, He knows us. And that's something we've got to deal with. And I don't know about you, but I don't like dealing with that kind of stuff. I want to be real. I want to be who I am all the time. And we'll get to that in just a moment. It's often easy to fool those around us, perhaps those that you are closest to. But you cannot fool God because He knows who you are at your core. We can come into church every week and we can give an air or a presence that we're something and we can have people fooled. Boy, that so-and-so is such a great person. I can't tell you how many times over the years because of my position as a pastor, so-and-so will come to me and say, well, I think so-and-so should be a leader in the church. They should be a Sunday school. And I don't have the freedom, the authority to say, no, you don't. And that's sad. We shouldn't have to have that. That's the reality of life. We should be real before God all the time. As Christians, we make a lot of statements. We believe in, fill in the blank. We stand for, fill in the blank. The Bible is my, fill in the blank. To a lost and dying world around us. And I think at our heart, in our heart, or at least in our minds, we're very sincere about that. We're very sincere about that. We do believe in. We do stand for. The Bible is my. And we're very sincere about that. But oftentimes we're sincerely mistaken about who we really are. I want to read a couple of statements that come from Matt Chandler, and I will get into Matthew in just a moment. 
Matt Chandler is a pastor of a church in uh, Flower Mound, Texas. But he recently preached on the subject of hypocrisy, and I like a couple of things that he said, and I want to read them to you. It says, All the weight of having to be perfect in order to be made right before God has vanished in a second under the weight of the gospel. There's this idea that when I come to church, I have to be perfect. I'm going to come to church, I'm going to dress up, I'm going to bring my Bible, I'm going to make sure my kids look nice, and we are going to listen to God's Word. Amen, brother, sister, right? Try to be perfect. In the sight of people, it really doesn't matter because we won't stand before them when we die. It's been my experience, he says, that this is kind of how we operate. We want to be right with God, we want to grow in our faith, and so what we try to do instead of running to God, we kind of pull out the little moral checklist And we're just trying to grow in that. So we have this checklist that we're trying to make sure. I try to make sure I read my Bible. I try to make sure that I pray. I try to make sure I'm there every Sunday when the doors are open. I'm going to do my best to try to be there. So I have this little moral checklist I can feel good about myself. It says, now when it comes to addressing the hypocrisy in our lives, the way not to do it is to look at our behaviors and try to make them more consistent. Well, if I could just do this a little bit better, if I could be more consistent in reading my Bible, if I could just be a little bit more better in my, and, and consistent in my prayer life, well then, then I'll become less of a hypocrite. It's not about the checklist. He says, has anybody ever fallen in that trap? You start spotting places that you're not quite consistent. And so what you begin to do is begin to work at being more consistent at behavior, language, and you can fill in the blank there. But you have in this area of your life, you're going, I need to be more consistent so I'm not a hypocrite. And you start to kind of pour into these behaviors, pour into these modifications, pour into those kinds of things. But in reality, the battle over hypocrisy does not take place on an external behavioral level. It takes place in the heart. If we're going to change, it starts in our hearts. Who we are before God. And he also says, the heart is a hard place to fight because it's deceptive. Because we don't see clearly... When we look inside our own hearts, can we be honest with one another? We don't know what motivates us at times. I don't know what motivates me sometimes, he says. Sometimes I know I'm doing what God would ask me to do, but I'm not quite sure if I'm doing it because I like, because people like it when I do it or because maybe God likes it when I do it. Anybody been there? You do what you do because you're not really sure why you're doing it? I mean, I want to be right with God. Any hands? I want to be right with God. And I know that to be right with God, I have to have a walk with Him. I have to be right in my relationship with Him. Which means I've got to spend time in my Bible. I've got to pray. And those are all good things to do. And I think we all ought to strive for that. But why do you do it? Because it's something you're supposed to do? Or because you want to know God more? Because you're concerned that your relationship becomes stale? Because you just want to glorify Him in all you say and do? What is the motivation? When all is said and done, don't quite understand the deepest motivations of our heart sometimes. And God's Word reminds us in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. And incurable, some translations, and desperately wicked. Who can know this? Who can understand this? Our hearts are wicked. That all of our righteousness, even all the good things that we can do, are what? Are as filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, part of his Sermon on the Mount, and I don't have time to get into all this, and it's really not the crux of what I want to bring out this morning. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people. I've said this many times over the years. When you die, you're not going to stand before your best friend at the judgment seat. When you die, and you all will, unless God comes immediately, when you die, you'll not stand before the people in your church. You're not going to stand before a tribunal of your elders. They're not going to be there. When you die, you'll stand before a holy and righteous God. And so the question I've had for years is, why do you, know, and let me just say this out loud, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm going to say it. What's funny to me is I hold the position of pastor, right? You guys know that. But what's humorous to me sometimes is that if I'm out and about in public, or I'm at the grocery store, and somebody has a bunch of liquor in their cart, they immediately try to bend over and just kind of move things around so that the preacher can't see it. And I just kind of like, yeah, what you got there? You know? You're not going to stand before me one day. I'll knock on someone's door and they're not expecting the preacher to come by and all of a sudden they hide the cigarette behind them. Like you can't see the smoke coming out. (laughs) But why do we do that kind of thing? Because we want someone to have an appearance of us that's not real. And you won't stand before me one day. You'll stand before God and give an account. So why we try to please others, that is a game you'll never win. My closest friends have stabbed me in the back, and I'm sure I've done it to them, not knowingly. We are imperfect people, living in an imperfect world. And we have one person to please. His name is Jesus Christ. So he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen of them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's a real concern that professing Christians may not may do the right things for the wrong reasons. Perhaps it's not out of a heart of love or a heart that wants to love and draw near to God or even because they desire to know God deeper. Quite possibly the motivation to do right things is to be praised of men. Wrong reason. Matt Chandler also goes on to say this. He says, to me, this idea, this kind of hypocrisy is insane. It's pretending to have a relationship with God when you don't. For all the conversations I've had, and as long as I've been in the Bible Belt, I cannot figure out what you think you're gaining. You're letting, getting people to believe you're godly when you're not. What does that get you? What does it get you? So you come to church every week and bring your Bible and your nice clothes, and now your kids are in their classes, And you feel good about yourself because you've been here. But what does that get us if we're not living it out the other six days a week? Think about how broken the heart is that someone thinking you're godly actually makes you feel feel better about your relationship with God than actually being godly. So that's insane. Let me say it one more time. Think about how broken the heart is that someone thinking that you're godly actually makes you feel better about your relationship with God than you actually being godly itself. In other words, we're just living a lie. And when they find out the truth, 
Then they're even more disappointed. Now look at the kind of pressure you put on yourself if you're that kind of hypocrite. <laughs> I'm just going to do the religious acts I know are right, even though I have no real relationship with God and no desire to live them out. You then put the weight of performance on yourself and, can't, and, and you can't carry it. That means you can't struggle. It means you always have to outdo everybody else's godliness. It means you can't celebrate other people's victories. It means other people become competition to you in the faith. Think about how exhausting that is. Varsity professional Christian athletes. Except when the game's over, you still lose. Matthew 6, 1 just asks this question. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen of them. In the context of Matthew 6, he's talking about three disciplines that are part of the Christian life. Uh, prayer, fasting, and um, giving. And let me just say this. This is not the crux of my message at all. So, But I want to bring out two things. He says there in verse 2, So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before the, all the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they have their, they have their reward. The discipline there was giving. It's not if you give or when you start to give. It's as you're doing it. It was considered a discipline that Christians practice. Or in verse, prayer, uh, verse 5 about prayer, says whenever you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. So I assure you, they have the reward. Or how about fasting, verse 16. Whenever you fast, not if you fast, but whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to all the people. They have their reward. And when I come to church and I can look all nice and sharp and man, just give the sense of feeling that things are just great. I'm walking with God and, and then Monday morning happens. And I have no real interest to live it out. I had my reward yesterday. When I gave the appearance to everybody that was something that, was, that I am not. And trust me, you might be able to fool the people at church, but you can't feel, fool those that are closest to you and people that know you the best. We don't want to be hypocrites. Matthew 7 is full of hearty thoughts and exhortations regarding hypocrisy. It really ought to cause us to ponder this thought really deeply. Um, he deals with... Let me read the first few verses, chapter 7. It says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but, notice the, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet turn and tear you to pieces. It's hypocrisy. I can notice everyone else's problems, but I don't want to deal with my own. And as I've said for years, it's really easy to notice the faults of others. 
see it on the news every morning, every night, read it in the newspapers, on the internet webpage. Everybody else's problems are glaringly obvious. This person got drunk and was in a terrible accident. This person got in a fit of rage and killed somebody. This person, fill in the blanks. You can read about everybody else's problems every day in, in so many different formats. It's really easy to judge them. Boy, they got a problem. They got a real heart issue. But I'm super spiritual because I notice everyone else's. No. The problem is that we have a twofold problem here. First of all, we're really quick to judge when we don't know the story. And secondly, even if we aren't judging, we don't want to practice what it means to restore them either. Well, if I say something regarding their problem, you know, they're going to think I'm a holy roller, and I just, well, you know, that ain't going to be good, so we just don't say anything. And we fall into one of the two traps. Either judge everybody and everything, or do nothing at all. Either way, it makes us angry because we're not living out what we know to do and what we know to be. At the end of chapter 7, verse 21, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't, I, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name that I will an- announce to them? I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. It's really easy to say, well, I'm at church. I gave I gave to the mission trip so they could go. Mm-hmm. What about your heart, though? What about your life? It's really easy to stand in judgment. And Jesus Christ will look at many on that day and say, I didn't know you. You might have known me here, but you didn't know me here. Because remember what he says there? It's really an issue of the heart. Where's our heart before a holy and righteous God? You see, there really are two sides of the coin. On one side, we can say one thing and do another, depending on where we are or whom we're with, etc. On the other side, we can do all the right things, but not be doing them from the heart or from, with right motives. Either way, hypocrisy has taken place. You say, well, why does this bother me as a pastor of a church? Because I want God's blessing upon this ministry. I want God's blessing upon His church. Anybody else want that? I want that. And I have to stand before you and say, I'm not perfect either. Uh, my first church, as I was standing around one of the infamous pulpit committees, they looked at me and said, so pastor, can you tell us one of your flaws? I don't know if I should be telling this, but I'm going to. I said, well, if you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. I just nonchalantly said that. I said, no, I'm just kidding, really. I don't want to do that. I promise you I won't. But I said, I want you to know something. I'm not perfect. I said, if you take a knife and cut me, I bleed red just like you. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm without sin. Trust me. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. They can give you the details. Please don't, though. Um, I'm human like the rest of you. We're all sinners saved by grace. I trust that we're working on that relationship with God, letting God work and mold us and change us. Those of you who've been here for a few years, you've seen most of my flaws. I am who I am. We're working on it just like you are. But sometimes we have this idea 
come to church and we're just going to do our thing. But I don't want you to come to church and just do your thing. The body of Christ is far too important for that. We need to live it out every day in our lives. Who we are on Sunday ought to be who we are Monday through Saturday too. And if we claim the name of Christ, then our life ought to back that up. To be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise we are just deceiving ourselves and further making it plain to Jesus Christ that we are hypocrites. So, we had this conversation a while back, a couple different times in the last couple weeks. You know, as Christians, we're not so much guilty of the sins of commission. I haven't committed to me. I don't know. I, I don't know that there's any murderers out here. I, if you are, I don't really want to know about it. But we don't walk around killing people. I would think for the most part we don't walk around telling lies just to tell lies. For the most part, I don't believe most of us are trying to commit all the sins of life. But I think a lot of us are guilty of the sins of omission. Things that ought to be in our life that we've conveniently omitted. How is our walk with God? I can tell you that when I'm in the Word, my life is better. My wife can tell you that. But when I'm selfish and do my own thing and I don't make the time, and it's because I don't make the time, things are more difficult because I'm living in the flesh. How's your walk with God? How's your prayer life? When's the last time you prayed? And I'm not talking about for the food that you're about to eat. Where you spent time asking God, pleading with God to know Him, to walk with Him, and to lay your petitions out before Him, to overcome sinful habits of the flesh that you cannot overcome apart from Him. When's the last time you spent time in prayer just begging the heart of God? That's hard. And it's time-consuming. And it's not easy. I don't care who you are and what you think it is. It's not easy. If you live in a real world and you have a responsibility and obligation, it's not easy. You have to make that time. And we all have a million and one excuses as to why we don't. And we can justifiably stand before God and say, well, God, do you understand how busy I am? Really? I mean, God, don't you know all the kids are they're out to drive me crazy? Right. We've all been there. That's why you have to make the time and take the time. So we're not really guilty of the sins of commission and what we commit before God, but we're certainly often guilty of sins of omission, what we've omitted from the life that ought to be in our life. Let me ask that question. If, I were, if you were on that pulpit committee, and I'll put myself there, so why don't we just start right here. When's the last time you shared your faith with anybody? I mean anybody. Go ahead, start. Could you sit on a dime and dangle your feet? Or would you say, Pastor, I look for those opportunities? And not that it matters to me. It doesn't. You won't stand before me. You stand before God and answer that. But being honest with ourselves. Are we people who have omitted sharing our faith from our life? Are we people that have omitted giving? Are we people who have omitted, you know, whatever, fill in the blank? Let's go to another one, Matthew chapter 23, just for a moment. And I don't have time to get into all of this. But let me just help you see a pattern here real quick. You know where, you know where we're going with this. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. Verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it, 
but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Wouldn't that be a great reputation to have? Remember, if you have reputations for one reason, you've earned it. Wouldn't that be a great reputation? I can, I'm really good at telling everybody else how to live their life, but living it, that's a different subject. He says, observe what they do. It's good teaching. It's right to do. But don't follow their example. It says in verse 5, they do everything to be observed by others. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Okay, wait, wait, we have guidelines and rules, and you guys got to follow the guidelines and rules. Because that's what we do. 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show, and this is why you will receive the harsher punishment. You have to have relationships with widows so I might get something when they die. Harsher punishment. A fake friendship. That's really something to achieve. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 15. Hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he becomes, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. In other words, I'll go across sea on a mission trip. Now I'm going to convince this one guy to be a follower of Christ. I'm often leery of quick salvation decisions. I grew up in a church where it was encouraged and supported to go soul winning every Wednesday night and every Thursday night. If you didn't go, you were less than, less than a tenant in Christian life. It was put upon you that you had to be there. I can tell you over the years I led a lot of people to the Lord on the doorstep of their house and never saw them once again. Tried and tried and tried. Fine, whatever it is you want me to do, just I'll do it so you get out of my doorway. There's a there's a better way. I'm just saying oftentimes we're quick to get someone to make a decision and they don't really understand what the decision is that they're making. J.D. Greer is a pastor in North Carolina. He wrote a book entitled Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I love the book because it's a simple truth. We've taught people to say a prayer, but we haven't taught people the commitment of following Christ. And that's important. That we understand both. He goes on, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of a mint dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. He goes on, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Man. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Like whitewashed tombs, sepulchers in some of your Bibles which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. It's easy to say, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have done. Or if I would have been there, I would have stood up for. Right? Because that's how we are. Or, you know, what do they say? Hindsight is 2020. 
What about the here and the now? What's important to God right now? How we live. It goes on. And in Luke chapter 12, I'll just read one more verse and with this I'll close. Verse 1 says, In these circumstances a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. And he began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. What's he saying? Everything we do will be exposed. There's no hiding who we are before a holy and righteous God. We can hide a lot of things before a lot of people. We can make ourselves feel good that we're doing certain things. But oftentimes our walk doesn't match our talk. And who we are on Sunday is not who we are Monday through Saturday. That hurts me. Because it hurts those that I'm closest to. When I'm not living right, it hurts my family. When I'm not living right, it hampers God's blessing on this ministry. I don't want this ministry to have to go forward because of my sinfulness and my hypocrisy. It's something we all need to strive for, living right before a righteous God. To truly make who we say we are who we really are. Let me ask the question, and only you and God know the answer. I can promise you from my heart that I have not saw anything in the body that says, well, I better preach on this. So-and-so really needs to get this message. I'm preaching to myself. Because I know my own sinfulness. And you know yours. Whether or not you're willing to admit it's another subject. But none of us can stand before a holy and righteous God and deceive Him. If we claim the name of Christ, are we living it out? Or is there a little bit of hypocrisy in us all? that we need to deal with this morning. Say, what's the importance of this? Be who you are before God. Be real. And can I just say this, and it's just my own little pet peeve, a lot of us need to take a dose of transparency. We are so self-righteous at times that we just got to give the constant appearance that we don't have any sin problems. You're the biggest hypocrite. Because none of us are perfect. And hypocrisy will not gain you anything. Because in the end, you still lose. And I think some of us need to take a dose of transparency. Be real. Be real. You're not, you're not kidding anybody. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Let's pray.